Hey everyone, welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie, my co-host is Brian, and if you haven't already, please be sure to leave us a rating and review. That really helps other folks like you find our show. Also, if you haven't already done so, be sure to check out our website, thebmegradpodcast.com, for more information about us, links to our social media and other listening platforms, and a form to get in touch with us. So, we are thrilled about this episode. Our guest is Colleen McGowan, and Colleen has been an advisor and mentor of mine for several years. And Brian and I got to know Colleen as one of the academic industry coordinators for the Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering at UNC and NC State. Each year, Colleen and her counterpart, Preston Lynn, help mentor hundreds of BME students on networking and professionalism and help connect the university with surrounding industry to facilitate jobs and internships for BME students in the joint department program. In doing so, they each have a unique vantage point of how early career BMEs find success and have coached so many students through common fears and hurdles to finding and getting a job. On the show today, she'll share her insights on just that. Colleen is the best, and we loved getting to reconnect with her on this episode. So please enjoy this conversation with Colleen McGowan. Hello, Colleen. Welcome to the VME Grad Podcast. It's so good to see you. I've been seeing a lot of you recently, and it's good to connect here as well. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, I've been following the podcast for a while and, of course, recommending to all of our joint biomedical engineering department students to take a listen now and then. And so um, I'm honored to be asked to uh, be a guest. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we appreciate your support. And I know how much you helped me when I was in school. So I'm really glad we could have you on to help a wider group of people that are that are listening in. Um, So It'd be good for like the folks on that are listening that don't know you, maybe don't go to UNC or NC State, or maybe are just younger at, at that school too, to hear a little bit about you and your your career background and, and what brought you to um, your role at UNC and NC State. Sure. So my background is probably different than the vast majority of people that are affiliated with the department. Um, Full disclosure, I'm neither an engineer or a scientist, as you guys both know. Um, I actually was a political science major in undergrad and um, started my career working as an investment banking analyst. Um, I ended up doing that primarily because I had been given an offer my senior year um, in September. That was really kind of too good to turn down and also not having to deal with that anxiety all during senior year was really nice. So I I went to work for the investment bank within about six to nine months, I realized it was in the wrong place. Um, And so I I stuck it out for a year, um, took some time to think about it, and then ended up working in consulting for Deloitte, which was um, a really good move for me. It was a much better fit. I was much happier there. Um, I was there for about three and a half years. Then I went back to Duke and their full-time MBA program and then um, went back to Deloitte for a couple of years. I was part of their graduate student assistance program. So they actually paid for me to get my MBA, which was great. Um, And then um, after a couple of years, my oldest daughter was born and just given family circumstances, I ended up uh, making the decision to um, stay home with my daughter and then her sister a couple of years later. So I was home for about eight years when um, a professor in the department who I had known for a very long time 
um, who knew I was looking to get back to work approached me with this opportunity. So as we'll talk about a lot today, um, it's another great example of connections and networking and kind of never knowing where that next opportunity might come from. Um, but she thought I would be a good fit for the role. And, um, you know, I, I talked to some people about it and, um, you know, I've always, even in all the, the business roles that I've had, I've always been sort of involved in, um, mentoring and trying to, you know, develop, um, younger professionals. I worked when I was an MBA student, I actually worked, um, as an admissions fellow. So I was, you know, and then I did recruiting when I was at Deloitte, um, back at Duke. So I have some relevant experience um, with some of the things that I'm doing in the BME department as well. And I've been here now for about six years, which is probably longer than I anticipated staying, but it's been a great experience and I've loved um, all the students that I've worked with. So um, yeah, so here I am. I'm wondering, sorry, you mentioned it. And I didn't want to interrupt you. What kind of consulting were you doing previously? So I was a strategy and operations consultant for right. Deloitte. Okay. Um, so basically working on projects for clients that was, um, you know, in that space, um, I focused on energy industry clients prior to going to grad school. And then when I came back, I was in a more specialized financial, um, financial services group. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like your MBA helped out in that career slash also if we're applying that to our listeners, do you think an MBA could be helpful for engineers as well? Yeah, so it definitely was helpful in my career at Deloitte. Um, you know, going back, the, the interesting thing about an MBA program, especially those kind of top tier programs, is that they almost require you to have work experience before you go. Mm -hmm. So once you're there and you're working with teams of people, you're basically, you, you get an education even just from all the other students that you've worked with because they're coming from all different backgrounds and all different parts of business. Um, so you learn a lot from them as well as from your professors and the work that you're doing. Um, and so it gave me just, you know, I got more in-depth learning about everything from marketing to finance to accounting, organizational behavior, kind of all, all those different um, uh, things that might impact projects that I was working on. Mm -hmm. um, and then also from a networking perspective, an MBA program is, is great, right? I mean, a lot of people say that's one of the reasons that you go. Um, for engineers, I will tell you the engine, there were definitely um, a lot of engineers who came, um, who I went to school with in the MBA program. Um, and they were some of the most successful students in the program, um, probably because in part they were some of the smartest people in the program. They had gone through much more, you know, rigorous undergrad education than many of the rest of us who were more liberal arts majors. So they had that, you know, behind them. Um, and they tend to be great problem solvers, right? And just, you know, and really um, just focused individuals. So um, if you had an engineer on your team, you consider yourself lucky. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like MBA could be a good like supplemental education as well to to add on to like your career and your experiences. Yes, and I also think for engineers, you know, if you're somebody who's working um, in an engineering role in a company and you've sort of got your eye on something else, like if you really want to go into marketing or you want to do business development or um, kind of get out of that, you know, day-to-day -day, um, working, let's say like in manufacturing or something, 
going to get your MBA and using that as a way to transition your career, whether it's inside that same company or, or transitioning to another company um, is also a great way to do it. It can be an expensive way to do it depending mm -hmm. on how that goes, but I think it is also, it, it's a great opportunity to take advantage of. So I do have one more follow-up on this MBA topic. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned networking and uh, I'm also curious if you met your uh, UNC professor network through the MBA. Uh, maybe not, but either way, networking with an MBA. I'm, I'm curious with this, uh, we'll say like climate of today of COVID and, and everyone staying home, there's been a lot of uptick in like online MBAs. Uh, do you see, um, or do you, do you have a observation between online MBAs versus your experience of having an in-person one? And then also just how much networking that you got out of your MBA program? So... I, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't done an online program, right? So I'm sort of guessing at what that would, how that would be different. Um, but the connections and the relationships that I've formed with the other people that were in my program, like to me are like lifelong. It, it's an intense two-year program and not everybody does it full-time. You know, it was, it was the full-time daytime program. There are also like executive programs. There's weekend MBA programs. At least at Duke, I know, which is where I went, all of those programs in there's some measure of coming to campus together as a group in person. Like even if you're doing work with your cohort online distance, you still end up coming to campus at least several times a year, depending on the program. Um, but that that daytime program where you're sort of living it day in and day out, um, you know, I see that there's the the network of people that I'm that I went to school with. I still am in touch with them. I see people helping each other out, whether it's with job opportunities or, you know, relocations or, you know, whatever they might be able to, you know, get help from somebody, you know, like-minded that has that similar experience. Um, I see it being really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, those are, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that, Brian, because I've been curious about all those things too. And that was really well articulated. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I, that's information I actually really wanted to know, and I'm, I'm glad you asked. So um, to talk a little bit about what you're doing now as the academic industry coordinator at, at UNC and NC State, what does that look like? Um, so we, we know we've experienced it, but sorry. Right, for the listener, right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's been a little bit of a, um, little bit of like a meandering journey, but when I first started, um, you know, um, I was brought in to work with Preston to mainly help develop relationships within industry, with companies within the triangle, within North Carolina, um, to create opportunities for students, for internships and jobs. Um, and what happened was, as I started doing that and meeting students and working with them, at one point I was asked to just, you know, collect resumes for some internship related to um, somebody who was serving on our industry advisory board, and I got all the resumes. And, you know, I had worked at Deloitte, I have an MBA, there's a certain level of like professionalism that I was used to seeing in these, in those environments, right? And I get the stack of resumes. And I look at them, and I'm like, we can't send these to the industry advisory board, like this, this is not gonna, this is not happening. So anyway, that is literally how I started working with students setting up office hours and working with them on 
resumes and cover letters and LinkedIn profiles. It was sort of, an, I saw it as a need and was like, I, I can help with this. And so um, I sort of, you know, pivoted a little bit of my focus and what I was doing to really start working with the students on their own professional development. Um, and at the same time, then Preston and I are also having our coffees with Preston and Colleen, which are, um, you know, we try to meet with students in small groups and talk to them about all kinds of things, helping them figure out, you know, should I go to grad school? Should I get a job? And, you know, or should I, um, how, how do I get into working in a research lab? Or should I be trying to get an internship this summer and try to help um, answer those questions as well? So at this point, um, you know, I would say it's probably split about 50-50 in terms of the relationship building and working with the students on professional development. Right. God, I hope our resumes weren't in that stack that you're no. <laughs> They were not. <laughs> what year did you start technically at the university then? So I started in August of 2016. Okay. Yeah. Great. So that, yeah, that was when we were sophomores, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll say like, as you were kind of describing what you were first starting out and, and those, those things that you would help students with, I was going through my recollection of like all the times we interacted mm -hmm. and it's, it's quite a handful. Like I've done those resume workshops with you. Mm -hmm. I've done those coffees with you. I mm -hmm. went to the panels that you set up with like alumni. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got my first internship through knowing someone and knowing someone, and knowing someone. That's right. Then I, got, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then even when I was looking for my real full-time, I, you, you referred me to a UNC alumni who was working at Plexus, who then I talked to and then got referred okay. and then got a job. There was yeah. even uh, Barry Waymiller, who I was just interested in consulting. Mm -hmm. And so you connected me with uh, another alumni who then I talked to, and then I eventually didn't take the offer, but I like, got to know them. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of crazy looking at my early career slash late graduation timeframe and how influential you were in my, my uh, networking and trying to get out of academic life and into industry that it was just it's kind of mind-blowing just thinking back like how many times we've interacted and how influential we've been so I've always wanted to thank you for that and I don't know if I fully ever like <laughs> talked with you ever since like graduating so yeah. Um, yeah I appreciated all of that oh well thank you I I love hearing stories like that because it just you know I mean I I like to think that what I'm doing is is making a difference in you know, in students, um, you know, early careers, and at least at least teaching them some things that they can take along the way with them, because it's not the first time you're going to be, as you all know now, it's not the first time you're going to be looking for a job, right? Actually, both of you have changed since graduation, so right. um, those skills come in handy. And and that's the thing too is I think you're a perfect example because I remember all those meetings that we had, and and um, of someone who was really open to learning and to taking advice and you just went with it right and I mean and then you see kind of what the results were from that so yeah we'll have to have you come back and speak on a career panel um, I'd be well. happy to. yeah I mean you'd be perfect for that now that you're reminding me of all that yeah it'd be great yeah he would be amazing <laughs> absolutely mm -hmm. yeah Brian I always like I said this about Colleen I think I wrote it in like some recommendation I wrote for something once I don't remember what it was but I was saying it's really amazing how like Colleen makes everyone feel like they're the only person she's mentoring yet she's mentoring like 150 <laughs> people at the same time it's it's really incredible and and for it to just be you and Preston uh, managing and helping all those students it's really like it's really amazing um and since you're so close with the students, um, what are you observing about them? 
and maybe and maybe what's changing too like as you've been here for a few years and and looking at them like what are your observations about students that are are needing your help most students are i mean these are students who are all high performing academically right that's how you got into unc and nc state that's how you get into the bme program um and so one of the first things is that you know the students are then they're, you know, it's an intense schedule. It's an intense um, program that they're trying to get through. Um, and I think be, when you're in that academic mindset and you've been in that academic mindset, like trying to get to the next thing, right? Get into college, get into engineering school, get into BME. Um, you're, I'm trying, you're trying to change their mindset a little bit so that they understand like, yes, having a 4.0 is great, but you need to also find a balance between just focusing on that and your grades and also taking a little bit of time and probably a little more each year as you go through the program to start thinking about what do I need to be doing so that when I walk out of here with my degree, like I know what I'm, I know what's next, right? Cause you don't want to get caught. Nobody wants to get caught. Like right, you know, after graduation and, and really not know where they're going. And so if you don't look up from your books, if you don't look up from preparing for that next test, that's where you get caught um, in that situation. And so most of the students, I think it, what I've seen a change is they're see, they seem to be doing more of that, I think, than they used to, um, at least. And I think some of that is probably the way that the program is designed, the way the curriculum's changed, especially like within the design program, like they're bringing more companies in to talk to students as part of, um, you know, senior design review. And so they're just, and they're taking students to the companies occasionally and giving them experiences there. And I think that's been helpful to just taking some of that focus and pushing it out a little bit, you know, pushing that timeline out a little bit further so that they're better prepared when they leave. Um, I think also a lot of students, um, get a little hung up on, oh my God, what if I make the wrong decision? What if I take the wrong internship? What if I, what if I, you know, if I work in this research lab and I can't stand, you know, the type of, I went for wet and squishy and I should have gone to, you know, rehabilitation engineering or whatever. And, um, also understanding that like, you're only 20, 21 years old and life is long and you're going to make mistakes. And it's not even really a mistake. It's, it's more like you tried something and it didn't necessarily find like, Oh, that's not really what I thought it was going to be. Or actually that's not a great fit for me. Okay. Well you pivot, right? I mean, negative information is not always bad because it helps you to focus and figure out what you actually really want to do. Um, so those are definitely two messages that we try to get across to students as early as possible in the program so that they um, are really able to take advantage of the time that they have that they have in the program. Um, I think also a lot of students worry that, you know, what if, you know, that, that no one's going to want to hire me, no one's going to want to talk to me, no one's going to want to hire me, you know, and I think realizing that, um, you know, I mean, you've heard Preston say this too, like you're more interesting than you think you are. And I think a lot of people, I think too, BME is such a cool degree because pretty much everyone, everyone on the planet, like their, their lives are impacted in some way by what you guys are doing, right? We're all impacted by healthcare and biomedical engineers by and large have chosen, they don't, might not necessarily know exactly what they want to do, but they want to be 
working in healthcare. Um, and that impacts all of us. So I think I always find it really interesting to hear what projects students are working on, what they're interested in. Um, because it, you know, a lot of times it impacts something that somebody we know is going through or something, you know, something that we're dealing with ourselves. Um, and so I think realizing that you're young and you're you guys are on like the, you know, the front edge of of what's happening um, in the field and learning about that and understanding that, you know, people want to talk to you and learn from that as well. So that was, I, it made me laugh when you said that because um, that was literally my number one thought when I was a junior and senior was no one want to hire me. And, I, mm. and, you know, I was a good student. I was involved in a lot of stuff. I was really putting myself out there, but I had this perception of like, why would anyone hire me? And so I guess um, besides like, BME, like you said, being a really like influential um, discipline and then of translating into it an influential industry that kind of touches everyone. What do you think fuels that fear for students of like, where do you think it comes from the no one will want to hire me fear? Well, I think, I don't know, two things come to mind. And this is sort of like things that I think students don't always understand about companies. Mm -hmm. Is two things. When you read a job description, a lot of time for like an entry level job, to me, it, a lot of times it sounds like whether well, whether it's entry level or non entry level, it sounds like they're looking for a unicorn and somebody who can do like eight thousand things in eight hours every day, right? I mean, some and I think I've done some reading about this and I follow some people on LinkedIn who are involved in recruiting and professional transitions and that kind of thing. And it's like, it's ridiculous. And so I think it's intimidating for a lot of people and especially for students when they're looking at this and they're like, well, no one's going to want to hire me because I only know four of the five programming languages that they have listed here, you know? And I think, so that's the first thing. I think people who are writing those, they, they put everything that they possibly might not, that they might possibly want in a candidate, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they expect every candidate's going to have every single thing, right? Um, and then I think the other thing is, I don't think anyone at a company who's looking to hire somebody straight out of school is expecting to not have to train people, have to train these young people to work, right? I mean, I think almost every job that's going to be hiring people straight out of college, um, the companies realize and, and that they're going to have to train and that there's going to be a learning curve um, for those um, new employees. And so I think if students understood that better, maybe they wouldn't be as intimidated or worried about um, finding that first job. Yeah, and I, and I guess to help ease our listeners' minds as well, I wanna just reiterate with uh, my experiences. So when I got my first internship and I was going into the medical device industry for the first time as a junior, I didn't even know what 13485 was. It was shown to me in a training book for the first time and I was just reading through it. Uh, that was the first time I was learning about validation verification that, you know, it's stuff that you never really learned in school. And when I think back on it, like when they were interviewing me, they weren't asking me like, hey, like how skilled are you in medical devices? Or do you know about all these like quality systems? And that's not the case at all. So if you're out there with a personality or a drive to learn and, and show like uh, uh, that you want to contribute to their product lines or to the company like I think that goes such a farther way and so like 
just eat like you know have a little bit of ease of mind like you don't have to know everything especially in these entry-level internships or jobs uh, and and maybe that will help you get past your decision paralysis or that little mental block because um for me my biggest thing was the other one that colleen said about um wondering if this is the correct first role or wondering if this is the correct position or company to go after and so that decision paralysis was a big thing for me and eventually i kind of just took on one and went with it and then you find your journey throughout it right because we've mentioned that on the show before too uh any experience is a great first experience and there's transferable skills it doesn't mm-hmm. quite matter exactly what it is that you do first and i think i see so many students with different journeys that still get to the same place or when i look at striker and i see so many different colleges and positions and companies and people still get to the same place i'm working with them now mm-hmm. i just wonder like it's not as important where you go and so helping to lower that mental block is a really good first step yeah yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And I think too, um, one thing that you mentioned that I that resonated with me as well is that there's a lot of skills that that they're looking for that you're not actually learning in school, right? So it's not like, you know, did you do you remember every detail from your I don't know biomaterials class? That's not what they're looking for, right? They're looking for people who can learn quickly who are, like you said, motivated and hardworking and can you work with other people? Can you communicate? Are you a leader? You know, all those kinds of things. Um, and some of those things you can practice them and a lot, but a lot of them are sort of innate skills or, you know, innate parts of your personality rather than um, things that you're actually learning in class. And so I think for people to understand that too, and that you can kind of sell yourself in that way, as well as like what your grades are and what your what your classes, you know, what classes you've taken and that kind of thing is helpful. Do you observe a different, a unique difference about BME students when it comes to strengths they might bring into a first job? A couple of things come to mind. And like I said, I haven't, I haven't like gone and worked with the mechanical engineers so, or yeah, the chemical engineers. So it's a little hard for me to say for sure, but um, you know, they're BME students are, they have a, 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 they're getting a very broad education, right? And they're essentially being trained as both engineers and scientists. Um, And they're, but they're engineers who have basically stated this interest in working in healthcare or in a field, you know, related to healthcare. Um, And so they do have this broad education where they have been exposed to, um, you know, mechanical, electrical, chemical engineering, computer engineering, and which, I don't know that the other engineering disciplines have as broad of an education in that sense. Now, some people feel like that's a negative because you might not have the depth of skill, which this comes up all the time, right, for BMEs. Um, but I think having the broader education gives you the perspective. And is it, and if you're motivated and you're willing to learn and you have that, that the base in each one of those different disciplines, then you know, I think that once you're in, in that particular job and you're working on a project, you know, you can get up to speed, you can learn different things as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and especially the way that our design program, and I think a lot of BME um, programs are designed, the, the, the team aspect, and also like the, um, you sort of are working on a multifunctional team too, because you're working with your peers, you're working with professors, you're working with people in industry, and you're working with different 
levels and types of clinicians in the hospital, right? We have students who go in and they're working with doctors, they're working with surgeons, they're working with nurses um, to try to understand what the problems are and to get feedback on their designs and devices and things. And so that can also be a really helpful um, skill to have. Um, and be also being able to translate and communicate information between all those groups and back to your team as you're working on your designs. Um, those are important skills to have too when you go out into the real world. What's some advice you have for them? I guess we've for kind of inherently students. touched it a little bit of, of things they can just chill out about a little bit about worrying, <laughs> but um, what's some maybe proactive advice you have for, for them that could help them set themselves up better for first jobs? For first jobs and for, for getting those jobs. Uh, well, I'll start with like for, in terms of like setting themselves up for success in, in getting that first job. Um, and some of this are, are things we've touched on a little bit, but definitely getting out there and, and talking to people, right? We've all, we all probably had friends at school or I see students who get caught in this trap of like, well, it's so easy to apply for jobs from behind your computer and you never have to talk to anybody and you just click a few buttons and send off your resume. And then right. you feel like, oh, I applied for 50 jobs. Like something's going to come through. Mm -hmm. You might get lucky, right? You might get lucky, but I think it's it's really um, important to try to get out there and network and talk to people and connect to people. And whether that's um, you know going to a, a specific, whether it's like a BMES event or whether it's you know contacting an alum of our program who's working at a company you're interested in and trying to talk to them. And, and really just talking to people, I think can be really helpful. And Brian kind of alluded to this as he was like evaluating, you know, different job offers that he had, like, you know, just talking to people and understanding like, what are, you know, what are they actually doing in their, in their jobs? And you guys have right. done a great job of, of creating, you know, podcast episodes on this too, but what are these jobs actually like? And how did this, how did you get to where you are? And, and, you know, where are you planning to go next? And, and understanding like what, paths people have taken to help inform your own decision-making, I think can be, can be really helpful. Cause otherwise you're just, you know, kind of like throwing darts at a dartboard, like, well, I'll try this. I'll try this and see if it works. Right. Sometimes like just, just the, going through the process of talking to people and, and networking, I think is really helpful. I definitely, you know, everyone should be on LinkedIn at this point, <laughs> like everyone, um, and there's two reasons for that, you know, having a, like a solid LinkedIn profile puts yourself out there. People can, you know, connect with you. They can look you up. They can see what you've done, but it's also, you know, creating um, connections and a network for yourself, um, using it to reach out to people and also like following companies, following industry groups. That's, it creates, I mean, it's educational for yourself. I mean, it's how a lot of times I hear about what's going on in the industry or what's going on in different companies. I just go to my LinkedIn feed and things that I followed are coming up and suddenly like I'm aware of this and I'm aware of that. Right. Um, which I think can also be helpful, like as you get out there and to the point where you're applying and interviewing for jobs and um, it just, you're just more knowledgeable about, about what's going on in industry. Um, I also think for students, like trying to, as you go into the job application process, like really trying to think about and, and position yourself as a, as a young professional versus a student, like in terms of the way you talk to people, present yourself, the way you write your resume, right? Simple things like that. Um, 
can, it just can make a difference that you come across as more confident. You come across as more ready to like enter that, that re that real, you know, first real world job, um, and can kind of give you a leg up. And then, um, the last thing I would say is, you know, a lot of students worry that they don't have, well, I don't have any, you know, engineering experience. I don't have any relevant BME experience to put on my resume. And I'm like, yeah, but you're 20. Like you've been in this department for a year. Like, how is that even, you know what I mean? That should not be the expectation. So what you need to do is think about what are, what are all your experiences and how, like, what are the skills that I'm gaining from these different experiences? And how can I frame that on the resume to show that it's transferable to the jobs that you're applying for, right? And I even, I always give this example, like you think about something like um, somebody who's, you know, between, I don't know, freshman, sophomore year, and they went home and they were a lifeguard for the summer, right? I actually learned this from, from talking through this with somebody, like all the responsibilities that a lifeguard has, right? Goes well beyond like sitting there and watching kids swimming in the pool, make sure that they're safe. You know, a lot of that, there's, there's, there's a lot of process. There's a lot of responsibility. There's attention to detail. There's communicating with people, um, managing up like all kinds of stuff that if you, the way that you describe it and the way that you frame it on your resume will make you seem like a much more, um, relevant candidate for some, you know, looking for candidates for a particular position. So instead of, you know, you don't want to write like a list of, oh, we cleaned the pool every day at four o'clock. Like, no, you want to, you know, you want to frame it in a way that makes you sound more professional and that you have skills that are transferable. And if you do that with your resume, I think you position yourself much better when you go to apply for internships and jobs. I've actually always been jealous of people who have unique experiences because I feel like there's an opportunity there to creatively share your skills in a way that is so different than all the other applicants. Mm -hmm. And so I was hearing about um, probably one of the alumni as well, who I, I forget who it is, but the story is like, she opened up a food truck, did all the, there was like a food truck show that she also went on, did pretty well, et cetera. And then afterwards, I think she tried to get back into the industry too, but you could, there's so many entrepreneurial or so many skills that you have to go through as you're doing that on your own, that like, that's so interesting. And the success that she had as well. And, and the, and the challenges she overcame, like those stories I feel like are more interesting that mm -hmm. to some recruiters that it's an opportunity to be creative with it. It's so always jealous of people who had those interesting paths instead of maybe like the, the, the dedicated or the standard path because there's an opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. And it, it, it'll, sometimes it just, it's something that catches somebody's eye or their interest on your resume when it's a little bit, when it's a little bit different. I guess one other thing, as we're talking about these uh, like nuances to job applications or these creative ways or these like little advice and tidbits, like like listen sort of for listeners, like listening to this podcast is like one method. I would argue knowing Colleen and talking to her is another method. Uh, I just think back as we're talking through all these and and these are things that I've learned over the years and that's also helped me in my job search. And so if I take it to a perspective of someone who doesn't know these, how does someone learn these skills, right? So like, you, there's no class for this. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's all about trying to do some research or trying to know someone who may be able to guide you and figure out these little tidbits of like writing thank you notes after interviews or what to write on resumes. And so I would just rec uh, 
encourage for people who know Colleen, for example, like go talk to her. And then for our other listeners who aren't at the university, um, see if there's other industry advisors at your school that could help out as well. Uh, I think it's just a proactive effort that you would need to take because it's not built into your curriculum, but can go a very far way. And you'll learn a lot of these tidbits that are more applicable to your career as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that, um, you know, Ali had, had asked about, you know, what gaps might exist in terms of preparing students um, to transition from university to industry. And I think, you know, again, it's, it's the academic world. It gets very focused on classes and exams and lab reports and grades and all that. And it really becomes up to the students to be proactive about managing their own career path, you know, from the very beginning. And of course, the universities have, you know, great resources in the career development centers um, or university career services. Um, but I think they're still there as something that students really have to kind of seek out and take advantage of. And so making sure you carve out some, you know, dedicated time, I think is really helpful um, as you go through each, each year of the program. That's probably my biggest, it's going to be just take the effort to go find those resources because it's not going to be mandated in your curriculum to do it. And so if you don't do that, then you won't find these resources and they are out there. So um, all these specific advice will come once you take your effort and find those resources yourself and, and take that first step yourself to, to learn. And then I think like, like, you know, we can spend all day talking about advice number one, two, three, four, but instead of doing that, my, my best advice would be to go find the resources so you can find those answers yourself. <laughs> I think, I think like, um, find, finding the right job or going through an interview is a skill that I've developed, but only because I've done it myself and talked to Colleen and talked to people who Colleen know. And, and I developed it not because the university told me to, but because, uh, I wanted to. So that's my, that's my probably biggest advice to people, like go find those resources and, and be curious. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the other things that we, we talk to students a lot about and try to, um, convince them to do, actually, we were doing this earlier today is, um, I think you guys were both involved in this, but doing like the, something like the, um, Clifton strengths assessment, um, I think can be really helpful because it just gives you like a much higher level of self-awareness of what those innate strengths are that you have that are, um, that will impact, you know, your, your, how you perform and how you interact in a job and, and where your career goes, um, and really help you to find something that's going to help utilize your strengths as well as something that you're interested in, because if you can find the intersection of those two things, you're going to be much more fulfilled and much more successful. Yeah, absolutely. The past two companies I've been with, including Stryker right now, like we do the um, Gallup strengths finders. And so oh, yeah. I know that's, that's a paid one. That, so the company helped us get, get through the tests and everything. But um, if you have a chance to do that, that's also great. It gives you like your top five, top 10 strengths, but also your opportunities to improve. And in any case, like we use that within our team to understand how to best work with each other uh, because everyone has their own strengths. So like positivity is a high one on mine or communication is a high one on mine, but I'm not as good on the executing side. Uh, but like what I learned for that, for example, was, hey, a lot of these strengths are geared towards like project management or people 
people relationship skills. And so that's why I also went into project management now versus being an engineer early on. And so it really helped me understand my strengths and how to best utilize them for the role at hand or the role I wanted to get into. So I think having awareness of your strengths is really important as you're navigating your early career. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's that's the same one that I was talking about. It, I think it, it Gallup bought it. And so now it's called Gallup. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, 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 but it's the same. Clifton strengths and Gallup strengths are the same thing now. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I love that stuff. I'm I'm like a junkie for any kind of personality test. I really am. Like, (laughs) which SpongeBob character am I? Like, I want to know all the answers. But um, Colleen, thank you so much for joining us here. And I just, you're such a wealth of knowledge and so eloquently summarized, like what students are struggling with and succeeding with. It's so interesting to like think about how many how many students you've helped along the way and how much you've helped us. So um, thank you for being here tonight, but also just thank you for what you do in general. Uh, well, thank you. Um, it was great to see you both and talk to you both. And it literally just like warms my heart to see how you're both doing and you've both been, you know, so early on already, so professionally successful and making us all proud. So well done. Well, thanks to you, Colleen. We would not be here without you. <laughs> And thank you as always for listening to the BME grad podcast. We hope you subscribe to our show and leave a review wherever you're listening. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube and get links to all of our social media listening platforms and more information on us at the BME grad podcast.com. See you next time.